Welcome to Stocks and Scotch. We are recording this as of November 14th of 2021. Um, and today we thought so i've been trading options like a degenerate from wall street bets but not not really uh, i'm not like betting the house or anything but we thought it would be fun to kind of talk about the experience of doing those things so let's just get some things out of the way so we do have a facebook page and you can find any updates from us there also if you do like our content and the stuff we're putting out please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us reach more people. So, Eric, it has been a while. So what are you drinking right now? Uh, you know, I still have failed to properly restock my uh, my scotch and, and whiskey, so I'm actually just drinking red wine. I've got a bottle of um, Rioja as a, um, a vineyard, uh, Lopez de Heredia, probably the, the main Rioja that folks drink. It's a 2009. I like it. My dad likes it. I, we have a ton of it, therefore. Um, <laughs> it's a nice cheap bottle. I mean, I, I don't, to, to me, Rioja is like underrated. Um, I just, you know, take it, you decant it for an hour and um, have a really great time. So uh, I'm enjoying, I'm trying to finish half a bottle right now. Uh, how about you? What are you drinking? Uh, I'm I'm drinking not your father's root beer right now. Um, so I don't really so like my Scotch reserves. They're they're kind of like a special occasion kind of thing, and uh, or at least most of the bottles I have. So I, I kind of drank the ones that are more of a fun time. But now the ones that I do have, they're more of a special occasion kind of thing. So I'm trying to save those. I do need to go out and buy some more sometime but i just haven't had the chance to fortunately yeah so, i think uh, I, you yeah. know i was in a, in a liquor store looking at bottles thinking i should like which one of these should i get and uh i thought about calling you for for advice <laughs> you know Next i I've, I've been really thinking about buying more japanese whiskey but it's just so expensive now yeah, they, they really have. Um, you know, so I, as as uh, as longtime listeners may recall, I have a bottle of uh, uh, Yamazaki, which I'm waiting for the day which uh, that that will be opened whenever um, you know the day Elon Musk gets arrested. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess we're closer to that day compared to a year ago from when we started. But um, um, are we but, closer? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but then, but then someone uh, mockingly pointed out that I only have a 12-year Yamazaki and not an 18-year, and so I. Uh, <laughs> I do have an 18-year, but yeah, I, I don't know when I'm going to open that again. Yeah, so def- definitely not for uh, for 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 this. Um, wait for a real special occasion. Um, oh, right. So with that out of the way. Um, a few words. Uh, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We are not investment advisors. This is not investment advice. And just like how we don't take a cut of any of your investment gains, we are not responsible for any of your investment losses. Um, do your own damn work. Uh, before investing, speak with a licensed investment professional. Definitely not us. And by the way, if you take any of our advice, uh, Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, usually we're drinking hard liquor. I think today only I am drinking liquor. Uh, You know, I I think uh, we'll have to, as we get back into a more regular rhythm, um, we'll we'll take care of logistics and uh, get this. Uh, I I am drinking liquor as well. Like, not your father's root beer is 6%. Oh, 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 okay. It it is great. Yeah, I, I... Absolutely, absolutely uh, recommend this. So but this is not investment advice. This is more of a enjoyment advice. If you like kind of like sweeter things at times and you also like alcohol, you know, not your father's root beers. It's great. All right. That sounds like an endorsement. I'll check it out. <laughs> if only we got paid also. Yeah, yeah. Any uh, any sweet endorsement money, uh, please feel free to reach out to us and we will... Uh, we will uh, make pe- make our listener, our, our wide leader uh, listener base, uh, aware of your uh, your goods and products. Um, and uh, you know, with that, we can with 
with sponsorship, we can finally get some some decent uh, some decent drinks here. <laughs> so you've been trading options uh, at like uh, you know what made you embrace your inner degenerate? So so the thing yeah. was, I I really thought about this um, for a while, but I didn't really like know how to do uh, options trading. And what really happened was uh, I was listening to all these FOMC meetings, like the Fed meetings. Uh, inflation is what, like 6.2%. Uh, the last numbers that came out for October year over year was like 6%. But before then, uh, it was like, fought, I think the month prior was like 5% or something like that. So I was thinking to myself, okay, um, costs are growing up. Uh, my energy bill is going up. Uh, all these things I eat are going up and, you know, we're both in crypto also. So, I mean, that has appreciated a lot, but what else can I do to make more money, um, on the side as well? And I thought, you know, options, they go up, they, they could potentially go up in value a lot really quickly. I think they can go up faster than crypto can in the same time frame if you play your cards right but that's a really really big if because they can also go down a lot in the same time frame as all as well i mean they can go down a hundred percent and that means you lose all your money at that point uh which is also very scary so i thought about it and i thought you know i'm gonna try to give this a shot try to learn it uh a little bit and I'm not going to bet the house on it. I'm, I'm going to put a little bit of money and see where this takes me. Uh, just just to see how much money I can actually make from it. So that, that was kind of uh, my idea on it. And then uh, I was also going to see, like, okay, um, how much money do I need to make in order to feel more comfortable about my financial position. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm not comfortable with my financial position. Um, I, I'm Obviously, I, I have a pretty good paying job, cushy job, uh, but it's just kind of like, what else can I do as well? So that that's kind of like my thinking on it. Yeah, actually, I think that's a really interesting and serious point. Um, like I was kind of thinking about that with, with crypto. It's sort of... Um, you know, if, if I'm going to do this, so I'm going to spend time on it, then what kind of, you know, there's got, there's got to be enough of a reward on the back end to be worth, um, you know, playing, you know, betting like $10 at a black check table to make $30 is a huge outcome. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you're not going to commit your life to, to doing that. And right. so I kind of, I've kind of been applying that, that same you know, same same questions which you've gone through to some of my investments, um, which is um, if I'm going to do it, I'm either going to like do it as a total freebie. But if I'm going to do it seriously, then it, there's got to be, you know, what and then I think about what the payoff is and you know what the payoff structure looks like. And then I kind of back into, well, I guess it means I've got to invest this much in on the front end. And so, um, you yeah. know, that's been it's been a very real. Um, I think it's a good question that folks should ask, you know, after they get their feet wet, um, investing and, and trying to, you know, making money, losing money, learning along the way. Eventually, you have to tell yourself, like, you know, you may have to ask a serious question of like, um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to buy a Lamborghini. I'm just trying to be financially secure and have that comfort and safety. And, you know, um, that that's that those are definitely worthy goals. Um, but to do that, I need to, what, what do I have to start with? Um, you know, and if I, if I pick a strategy, it's got some upsides and downsides. If I've got a sense for what the upsides and downsides are, then you can kind of back into like what your capital at risk outlay, um, you know, will have to look like. So, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real question. So, um, you know, it's a serious question that just, just as we were about to like dive into your your inner uh, degeneracy, uh, <laughs> um, we can't help but but uh, be serious about it. But uh, no, so that so that's interesting. And, and um, you know, so I you know, I think for the past year and a half, we've all, we've both been looking at these um, 
these guys on Wall Street bets are YOLOing, you know, options and so forth. And, you know, some of them making a ton of money. And uh, for the life of me, I just cannot, I cannot make myself do anything like this. Like my, my fingers will not allow me to click on the buttons to even look at, you know, like, you know, the, right. we'll get into it, the short dated weekly, you know, out of the money call options. Uh, so what, so, so what did, was there anything specific that made you, um, decide to take the plunge or was it just sort of accumulation of this realization of like, listen, I got to, you know, we've got negative real rates, cash is getting trashed. Um, and, uh, you got to do something. Um, did that push you over the edge or was it, was there anything specific that, uh, made you, you know, take the leap? Right. Uh, it's, it's just like you said, it's just like the accumulation of everything. Like if I think about, you know, cash is trash. The Fed is printing money. Uh, they said they're going to start tapering, but that doesn't mean they're not buying uh, bonds. They're not buying treasury. I, that It does not mean that they're going to stop buying treasury assets or uh, mortgage-backed securities. They're, they're still going to buy it just at a lesser rate. They're still going to expand their balance sheet in the end. So I, I thought, you know, I, I might as well keep doing this as this bull run continues because – uh this is potential potential time i don't know when it's going to stop i don't know when this party is going to stop but i can try to do like a watered down version of this wall street bets kind of trading um just to limit like my uh risk exposure but still also have some of the upside because uh as a lot of you know uh fund managers say like the stock market can barely lose on a particular day for more than two hours. Like it has to keep going back up because of all these macro events happening at every single point of time. So uh, that that's kind of like what pushed me over the edge. It, it was just a realization of everything that's happening. Uh, cash isn't very useful. I mean, I still have, uh, what is it? A, uh, a safety fund. Anyway, so I mean, I'm going to keep that in cash no matter what. But uh, besides the safety fund, everything else is in assets, whether it's stocks. Most of my uh, net worth is in stocks. Uh, some of it is in crypto. And uh, I guess the rest of it is in uh, options, which is like a sliver of everything else. <laughs> so, um and I'm glad you kind of started small instead of trying to YOLO your entire net worth into, right. um, you know, weekly options. Like, uh, I'm sure a, Wall, a true Wall Street best degenerate would YOLO everything into it. Yeah. And sometimes it pays off, but sometimes it yields a uh, lost porn, as uh, as the kids say. <laughs> so so what do you mean by trading in options? Like, what exactly are you buying? Um, and, you know, what what is your. You know, what is your uh, thought process as you're going into these positions? So what I'm doing is uh, uh, I'm not I, I think there's uh, really like two sides uh, of a coin when trading. Uh, and you hear this all the time. There's the buy side analysts and the sell side analysts. And I'm part of buy side analysts. Uh, well, I'm not an analyst. I'm, I'm just part of buy side. Uh, or I'm trying to be part of the buy side because. Uh, of all those macro events I, I was talking about, the stock market can't barely lose on a day. Like it has to keep going back up. Fed is expanding its balance sheet. Everyone wants to be in equities. No one wants to be in bonds. Yields are extremely low. We have negative rates, right? Why? Why would you be on the uh, sell side? You, it's uh, it's just not a not a fun event to be in. So uh, I I my particular strategy is buying weekly call options so we kind of talked about this in i think it was what episode uh hold on uh, episode 15 episode 15 we talked about options and uh what's the difference between a call option and what's the difference between a put option and basically what i'm doing is i am being long or i'm buying a call option uh that has a weekly expiration date which means like if today is Monday, uh, I am buying an an option that would expire this coming Friday. So I, I basically have like five days until the option expires. Uh, so 
uh, that's what I'm doing. And uh, even though I'm buying those weekly call options, I'm not holding them uh, from Monday to Tuesday or Tuesday to Wednesday or so on and so forth. If I buy them Monday, I'm selling out on Monday. Uh, and I, I do have reasons for that, which we're going to go into later. Got it, got it. So you're you're really so for for folks, I guess the analogy get for folks, if these are short fuses, um, you don't want to hold it too long before the stick of dynamite goes off. Um, but um, and so you're you're kind of opening positions and closing them uh, in pretty short order. Um, and and um, are are you picking? Are you doing? options on indices or ETFs? Or are you looking at kind of single stock names? Um, I'm, I'm doing like single stock names. Uh, the reason why is because if I do like indices, indices, they can move based on multiple different stocks. Um, and I don't have like the brain power or the mental capacity to follow so many different stocks. Uh, to in order to kind of like dictate whether or not I'm buying options on the S&P 500 uh, because that that could move. Uh, it, so like, for example, S&P 500 has like six, I, I think maybe like six, tri, uh, six different companies that are over a trillion dollars. Any one of those companies can really put the S&P 500 in a wacky kind of movement. So I, I don't really want to deal with that. I want to deal with like a single stock that I... I kind of feel like I know kind of well. So an example was uh, Coinbase uh, because we've been following uh, crypto pretty uh, a lot more heavily recently. And because uh, we've been following crypto a lot more heavily recently, it it's a lot easier to kind of uh, track in terms of news, what's happening, uh, and I'm also tracking like the Bitcoin price at the same time, just to kind of uh, think about what what's what's that going to do to the Coinbase price. I'm looking at volumes based in crypto uh, of like the actual crypto coins because Coinbase's uh, revenue stream comes from trading of those uh, of those crypto assets. So uh, if if I know like where the business is coming from, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of uh, figure out where um what the stock might do um also uh the reason why i picked coinbase uh was because it had like a high implied volatility to the option which basically means that um the stock price the actual stock price of the company which is coinbase could move up or down a lot very quickly so uh and because it has a high implied volatility, uh, the option price, the call option price can also move uh, up or down very quickly as well. So that, that's kind of like uh, what uh, I was looking at in terms of whether or not I was looking at indices or single stocks. Yeah, and so just as a reminder for folks, um you know, kind of the, if you think about it, so the price of the option is the premium, options premium. Um, and if you enter to, say, a long, you know, you're, you're long a call, then you're paying the options premium. And then to exit the position, you basically reverse it, right? So you sell it and then you get paid the options premium. Um, but and, uh, you know, what Kentaro is, is saying is that, you know, there, there are there are a couple of variables that go into um options pricing and one of the biggest ones is the, the volatility um you know so there's a price of the underlying you know uh instrument there's uh the its volatility the price the volatility of the price um there are a bunch of other variables in black shoals which uh i'm going to embarrass myself <laughs> I <do not> <laughs> um but uh you know and then also time to expiration so there there are a couple of um uh, there are a couple there. And so um, and so you've been trading in, in weekly call options. So call options are right to buy a stock. So you're betting that the stock price is going to go up. Um, right. Well, why did you why have you picked weeklies as opposed to like leaps, which would be kind of long dated uh, options or, or, you know, kind of some other kind of normal expiration. So nor normally options are 
you pull up a stock, you'll see an options table for, you know, you know, if expiration is going on every quarter or maybe every month or, or something like that. Uh, but you're picking weeklies. So the reason why I did that and uh, so the reason why I did that is because when I think of when I look at the volume of other expiration dates. Uh, so, for example, if I pick something like two weeks or three weeks out, uh, there's a lot less volume of uh, people trading that particular option than there are people trading for the weekly version of that option, right? So mm-hmm. options are basically uh, you have a strike price, right, which is like 350, uh, 400, 450, whatever, right? And then you can have different expiration dates, right? It's like pick and choose your poison. Um, and so the longer out you go, uh, the uh, what I what I saw was that there are less there, there's less volume, there's less open interest. And when I go and start like thinking about trading, I before I even like click the trade button, I am immediately thinking, how am I going to get out? Because the most <laughs> important thing is how do I get out of this trade, right? Because uh, what I think is most important is that, uh, and I don't think we talked about this much, and I don't hear very many people talking about this, but when when you're in the market, right, there's a buyer and a seller. Uh, so if you want to sell something, there has to be a buyer on the other end, right? There has to be someone who wants to buy whatever you're selling. It takes two to tango. Uh, so if there's no one on the other end um, of that uh, kind of trade or who wants to be in that trade, then you're kind of screwed and you can't can't get out of your position. So that's mm-hmm. uh, really uh, the big reason why, uh, w- one of the biggest reasons why um, I, I was doing weekly options. That being said, um, like on Thursdays and Fridays, I'm not trading like that week's friday's expiration date because uh the theta so we talked about this also in, uh, in a previous episode about uh thetas option thetas and theta is basically the uh, the number that you see on your screen that says theta is basically the number where if a day passes while you're holding an option, that's how much your option uh, will decrease in price. Because options are very difficult in my mind because you have to make a price estimate and they are also a function of time. So options rely on uh, probability of getting to whatever estimate you're making and whether or not it'll actually meet that time period that you're actually buying it for. So that's why it makes it very difficult to actually do options. So uh, those are like really the big reasons why um, I'm kind of like going to weekly options and getting out of them as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the theta is sort of a measure of the time decay of of the options premium or therefore the price you, you know, so the you know whoever came up with the term options, I mean it's a very it's a very intuitive term, you know if you think you have you know the more time you have the more options you have so the more you know the right to engage in this is valuable right so the value of that oh god well <laughs> the value <laughs> the option value of the option is higher the more time you have for the option to play out but I mean it, you know it kind of it kind of makes sense um, and so. Um, yeah, so I, I but uh, but the, the theta on a on a weekly is um, you it's know, extremely to me, weekly, high. Yeah, yeah, weeklies are are cheap because there's not a lot of time left. But uh, by the same token, like every day that passes, every hour that passes, like I mean, you know, uh, that could materially move the value of uh, that could materially decay the value of um, um, of the option. So um, it's. Uh, but but I guess with that cheap price, you also have the ability to make an outsized return, um, which would be a lot harder for, um, um, you know, in a stock or something like, you know, if for me, like if a stock doubles, 
I'm really happy. Like I am high-fiving myself. Um, right. I mean, I, I guess it's not that exceptional these days, but you know, once upon a time people would, uh, you know, would look to stocks to generate, call it, you know, you know, you know, single digit returns every year. And, uh, you know, up 20% was uh, a cause for celebration, but, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think options like that, the payoff can be, can be a lot higher than that. Uh, what have you been seeing? So in a month, so I started off with a thousand dollars as like play money, right? Just to see what, what could happen. And, you know, there's been up days and there's been down days. Uh, but with a thousand, I basically made 500%, which is about, so I, I made $5,000. So my total is like 6,000 with, with, within a month. Right. So just imagine if I like played with more money, but again, the problem is, uh, if you're playing with more money, you have higher risk of it going. I mean, you have a high risk of it going down still. So it, there, there's no guarantees that uh, even though I made this amount of money, it'll keep going up. I could still see a huge downturn even at this point. So uh, it, it's extremely risky to kind of like do these kind of things. Yeah. So I, I guess just to, for our listeners, right? so if if the stock price of the underlying, you, you buy an option on the stock. If the, if the price of the underlying stock goes up, then the option, the value of the option can move up explosively. But if it doesn't, if it just stays flat or or goes down in value, then um, your option will, you know, will decrease in value and potentially go to zero. Um, right. So your kind of your payoff profile is really you know, if you're doing just straight up long call option, um, you really are kind of um, betting on the movement of the underlying stock price. But um, but yeah, I mean, you, your your thousand dollars could have gone to zero um, if if the stock price just didn't didn't move. It not even didn't go up, but just just didn't move. Yeah, it, it could have gone to zero very easily. Uh, and you, you know, I I know we kind of like bagged on uh warren buffett but you know his famous two rules right uh rule number one don't lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one right that that's yeah. always what i'm thinking is just don't lose money like i know i'm gonna lose on trades but if overall i don't lose money then i think that's a win yeah um so and and so besides besides you mentioned kind of single stock names like Coinbase. I mean, um, what other what other criteria are you looking for for uh, um, you know which uh, which options to buy? So the only other criteria really is things that have like a high implied volatility. So right. uh, like Coinbase, for example, was trading on like. 100 vol for like several days for sometimes because they they were basically making two standard deviation moves uh within a single day multiple days in a row whether it was up or down uh didn't matter but uh it was moving up and down very quickly uh in the past month so that that's the reason why and i haven't really been trading like options on like Microsoft, for example, because Microsoft has a very, very low uh, implied volatility, implied volatility numbers like they're at like 15 or 20 or something like that. And uh, the beta on Microsoft is actually pretty low also. So beta <laughs> being like the volatility on the stock is very low. Uh, I always go back to this one quote uh, by Stan Drunkenmiller that uh, that he said recently, I think, on Bitcoin. And what he said was, uh, it's very easy, or I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, from what I remember, he said, basically, it's very easy to make money on Bitcoin because it has a high beta, which means it's very volatile. So that that was, that was that's what uh, he had said. So that kind of like stuck with me uh, at, as part of the accumulation uh, that we talked about earlier about why I started doing options. So um having like high iv options i think really uh helps because as you said earlier uh if your stock just kind of like trades sideways uh then the theta decay will get to you and really drain uh the value of the option 
And so your option price will decrease a lot because of it. Yeah, I, I think um, um, you, you kind of touch on an interesting point, and I'm going to totally, completely butcher this term. But one thing I, I, um, uh, I hear people talking about are kind of option skew and uh, or, or maybe volatility skew in general. And I think that's shorthand for volatility skew. And then you know, people refer to it by talking about um, option skew. And then um, in, in, in a way, and, and I think this is more of a, a concept of, um, you know, volatility isn't a fixed number. It actually kind of, it itself is a variable that will move based on, you know, the change in price of the underlying. Um, and I kind of feel like I, I traditionally you would have said, uh, oh, as things go to pot, volatility goes up. So that's what we see in the VIX, um, which is the implied volatility on S&P 500. Um, and so when the stock market, when S&P goes down, VIX goes up. When I've always wondered about that, but I think this sort of very human phenomena. But but somehow I feel like um, um, you, you know, people have been using that. There's something about this market environment where people are, are kind of using it to their advantage in, in the sense that, um, and I, I don't know, I mean, uh, somehow um, uh, there, to me as an uninformed observer, there's something that has made option strategies successful. Um, and I wonder whether there's something about the structure of volatility that, um, well, let me give you a, like a hypothetical example. Say, mm -hmm. say if um, the stock price goes up, volatility goes up too. Mm -hmm. Then your option, you kind of gets like double, you know, has like, you know, um, you know, a double benefit. And so I, I kind of feel like People have been killing it on on options, um, and in a way, and and so I, I, I always wonder whether there's something fundamentally different about, you know, it's sort of like it, you know, what if the laws of nature, the laws of physics were were different um, based on like whether the stock price was up or down? Like I kind of have that feeling, and I, I have no idea. So I'm, I'm just, uh, um, but uh, you know, um, so I've always wanted to explore that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I would say that, like, um, you know, for traditional, you know, old fogies like me, one of the, the crazy things about today's markets is how, you know, options dominated it is. I think people come to the belated realization after the various Tesla gamma squeezes and uh, um, I, I guess all the, the, the meme stonks that, that did have um, options um, you know, earlier this year. Um, that uh you know that it's really you know I, I guess one of the i guess one of the attractions that we said for options that you can make a big bet with a small outlay of capital up front it's it's inherently a very leveraged investment and right. uh, the person on the other side of that trade then will go out and and kind of hedge it by transacting in the stock so you by outlaying your dollar and you know one dollar options premium could potentially be affecting um, a lot of buying or selling activity on the on on the back end, and I think I forget where, but I, I think people have tried to measure, you know, how much of the stock price, how much the stock price purchases are, you know, kind of just regular long only, you know, or short, you know, you know, regular holders of actual paper of actual stock versus um, people holding the stock and transacting the stock because they're hedging an options position. And so, you know, I think, I think people come to the, I, I can't remember the data, but I think people have been say, coming to the conclusion that this is actually an options driven market. And so um, I think kind of taking what you're doing and multiplying it by, I don't know, a couple million people and billions of dollars, I, I feel like it, it's become this powerful dynamic um, for equity markets in general. Um, but unfortunately, I'm not the person who can really talk to this. I just, I'm just repeating what I read on Twitter from, uh, from smart asses. Well, we've also like heard a lot of interviews where uh, it, it's been quoted many times as well that there has been a record number of 
transactions in options like this year and last year Dender has in prior years. So, I mean, uh, what you said about this market being more options driven than people actually wanting to hold the paper, the actual uh, underlying stock makes a lot of sense to me because uh, if there are a record number of transactions, then uh, people who are trying to hedge their risk uh, when they're like selling call options uh, makes total sense to me and uh, the reasons for gamma squeezes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's important for folks to really kind of understand the micro. If, if that's a macro effect, then then people need to understand like what is the micro, you know, what is going on at the um, right. Uh, you know, if, if you think about this is a funnel where you know the end of the funnel is the macro behavior that we see, you know, um, options with selling, you know, really driving the equities market. Then you need to understand what's driving the options market, uh, which is uh, um, and it, it's its own kind of different animal, its own different market. Um, so, um, you know, one thing so in my in my limited time dabbling in options uh, in 2020, um, I would always look at stuff like, um, you know, so I look at theta as you are, I would try to calculate how much a theta burn so I guess I got to ask: When you're doing options positions, are you are you taking the inputs and putting it into like a Black Scholes calculation and seeing whether the options are overpriced or underpriced, or or is it like forget it? I'm just betting that's going up or down. Uh, no, so I'm just using like uh, just normal stock price indicators whether to see whether or not uh, it's going up or down. Uh, I'm not using a Black Scholes in, uh, calculator. So uh, I, I just use like the trading screen uh, that Schwab provides. So Schwab provides like real time trading screens, uh, which is really nice. So uh, the the real tr- uh, time trading screens that Schwab provides, it, it's not on the website. You actually have to download something called like Street Smart, and it works amazingly well. Like it provides you all the option Greeks that you want, and you can just kind of like look. And I just kind of like piecemeal it. And think about it and i just try to make uh the best decision on the fly uh that i possibly can based on the bullish indicators the, the main indicator that i've been using is called a macd or the moving average convergence divergence indicator and basically what happens is uh with that indicator is that uh as uh the curves are converging upwards that's when you want to buy. And as the curves are moving downwards, uh, that's when you want to sell. So that, that's kind of like the main thing um, I've been using. But uh, when I'm selling, I don't wait for the curves to start going down. I just sell uh, early. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of like talk about like what, why I do that as well. But uh, yeah, I, I don't try to calculate when it's... Um, what the best price is or what the uh what the uh if whether or not it's uh undervalued or overvalued or not i i just try to ride the train and see what i can get with it and i i try not to uh, i think uh i i hear this a lot and what i hear is that trying to be perfect is more harmful than helpful so <laughs> as yeah. long as you can kind of like piecemeal it with an informed decision uh, that is better than trying to be perfect but uh, i'm not i'm not sure about that 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 is just what i hear um and i've been just like just trying things out this may not be the best strategy at all but the what we're talking about here is just like my experiences here and i, I don't know if dgens actually like look at these things but well who knows yeah i mean i've always wondered like i remember setting up these elaborate grids to calculate all these different payoff scenarios if i did like right. put spread tesla and uh it it was definitely uh i've always wondered is anyone actually doing this work? <laughs> um and uh, obviously i uh i got my ass kicked on those so it did also didn't matter um uh, but I, I kind of feel you. Like the more analysis you, the worse the worse off you are. Um, 
Yeah, at least in the past couple of years. Um, so, um, and, and one thing I'd also look at besides like trying to figure out the theta decay is also like, you know, bid ask, right? If I want to get in and out, um, you know, whether I get chewed up by the bid ask spread. So what, what, what is a bid ask spread and, and you know, how does it factor into your thinking? So the bid ask spread is basically, uh, so we, we kind of talked about like it, it takes two to tango, you need a buyer and a seller. Uh, the bid ask spread is basically the bid is how much a buyer is willing to purchase like a stock or an option for. And the ask is how much is a seller willing to sell that stock or an option for. So if you think about it, it's kind of like supply and demand, right? Econ 101. Uh, people want to pay as little as possible for something they want. And people who are selling something want to get the maximum amount that they want. So uh, uh, that that's basically what the bid and the ask is. And the spread is how far apart are the bid prices and the ask prices are. So uh, so th this kind of like goes into uh, why I was doing weekly options as well. And uh, because there's like lower volume on like further dated uh, expiration dates, um, because there's not a lot of there's not as much volume as there are for weekly ones. Uh, the bid ask spread is a lot wider on the uh, further dated ones, and it's a little bit tighter. Uh, so meaning like uh, the bid and ask uh, don't diverge as much. I mean they still diverge a lot on like uh, high. Uh, implied volatility uh, stock uh, stock options, but uh, they don't diverge as much on like further dated ones. Um, so, uh, and the thing about the bid ask spread is that so I use Schwab, and on Schwab, uh, when you're looking at so let let's say I go into a call option, uh, I I open a position in a call option uh, and on Schwab uh, when it says like do you want to see your, your positions and it will tell you uh, what the cost is and the current and what Schwab tells me what the current price of that option uh, they're going to tell me what the midpoint of that option is they're not going to tell me uh what the bid is or the ask is i have to look on a different screen to see what the bid and the ask is um which is like kind of like right next to it but uh in the in the like pnl the profit or loss uh calculation uh the profit and loss calculation uses the midpoint of the option the the current midpoint of the option price uh minus uh what i paid for it so the midpoint basically means that it's not necessarily what the actual option price could be. Uh, the actual option price could be between the bid and the ask. It, it just depends when you can sell it. Like where in a bid ask spread can you sell that option? Uh, so the midpoint is kind of like, it's good for a general reference, but it's not like the end all. Like it, it doesn't really mean anything until you actually like sell the option. So that that's kind of what I think about the midpoint, but uh, that's what the bid asks spread is. It's just how far apart is someone willing to buy it versus someone willing to sell um, an option. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you bought something at uh, and then the next minute you wanted to sell it and nothing else changed, I mean you would probably get a lower price than what you'd pay. You know, than what you bid and ask is always defined from. You know, let's just say the price you paid is the price that someone is willing to sell it to you. But if you want to trade it back to them the next minute, then um, it's going to be at a different price, which is probably lower for you and, uh, uh, right. you know, to that person. So the house would make money off of you in that situation. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, the thing that drives me crazy was that I would look at, you know, I forget what fact pattern, but I remember I'd always look at like, like, you know, the bid would be like 10 cents and the ask would be like 15 cents. So I'd be thinking like, what? You know, to me, that is, so to me, I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's like, a, I'm, I'm totally butchering the math here. But to me, I look at that as like, 
you know, if the bid ask is 10 cents to 15 cents, it'd be like, that's like a 50%, you know, bid ask. And maybe if it's spread or maybe not doing it right, maybe it's a 33% bid ask spread, or maybe it's like 40% off the midpoint. I have no idea. But I mean, um, but to me, like bid ask has been like a, a percent, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to me in my normal life of like equities and, and fixed income, other stuff. And like, you know, to me, like these really, really wide bid ask spreads are always a sign of a dysfunctional market, but it, it's, you mm. know, I mean, you kind of, but, you know, I see it in these options tables. So, like you, you have this Chinese menu of like, you know, what, right. what expiration and what strike price do you want to buy? And <laughs> cheapies. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, um, so the market practice. So, so um, there's a price you pay, but if you were like a hedge fund, you would, instant, you would then value your position based on the mark, um, which should be the next available bid. Right. And so, you know, so to me, I always have this gut reaction of like, I'm taking an immediate loss. When, when I look at these crazy bid ask spreads, I'm like, I'm taking an immediate loss. I'm, you know, if I pay 15 cents and the bid is 10, it, that's just where the market is. But I'm, I immediately take like a 33% loss, like right off the bat. And so um, it, it's just, uh, it's like an emotional thing that I've never really gotten over, um, to be honest. Um, I, I I totally agree with you. And that's why like, uh, that, that, that's the reason why I, I do like high volatility stocks, because, uh, if it moves past that, then the bid is going to rise and the ask is also going to rise as well. So the spread, uh, they, they both move up in conjunction with each other. So, uh, that, that's kind of like my reasoning for, uh, doing those things, but yeah, you're, you're you're totally right. If it just moves sideways, then you're immediately locking into a loss. Yeah. So, um, what, um, you know, how? What about your mentality? I mean, as you're as you're thinking about this, um, number one, I'm just amazed that you can like um, be in these volatile, um, you know, volatile instruments and and not like just to- totally suck all of your attention during the day. So. I'm kind of curious how, whether you're getting anything done like productively <laughs> while you're <laughs> while you're doing these short dated weeklies. And um, I, I guess the uh, the second thing is like, yeah, tell us about your mentality about uh, being in these positions. Um, so, are you sweating, nervous, or are you chill? I mean, talk, do tell. I, I mean, I am sweating all the time, even though like I earned some casino money, right? Like I, I, I've won some money from the casino. It's yeah. not like it's not like I magically came upon this amount of money. I worked hard for this amount of money, so I don't want to see any of my gains go down at all because it's it's still work to get there. So, um, yeah, I I am sweating if I see red on the screen, and I'm like constantly thinking about, hmm, yo, what should I do at this point? If I'm red right now, should I deploy more capital or should I get out right now? Like, it, uh, I have to. I am literally second guessing every single decision, every single time I make a decision. You know, it's just a, it's just a terrible, terrible place to be in. So like, that, that's one. It, it just eats up a lot of my mental space. So I mean, I'm working too, but so what I do is like I have one screen that has like my trades open and I'm like working in Excel, but I glance over and I'm just like looking at the screen as well while I'm like doing things in Excel and. You know, just just go back to Excel and take take another glance back, and it's just like eating my mind the entire time. Like I'm just really worried the entire time. So yeah, it does eat a lot of mental space. Um, so I came up with this idea of, okay, uh, I calculated how much. So I know what my salary is, right? How much? So what is like my daily expected uh, amount of money do I make in a day? from work right okay so it's this amount okay Mm -hmm. so can i if i can make more than what i'm earning at my job in like an hour or two right uh (laughs) then i i I am going to get i i am out of the market for that day because i don't want to think about it for the rest of the day right so if i make like a thousand two thousand a day i am done for the day uh for market trading because option trading because i i don't want to look at the screen anymore i could make more money true but 
it is so taxing mentally and emotionally that I just don't want to do it for the entire day. Sometimes I do have to do it for like the entire day, but uh, I, I just try not to um, if I can make that amount. Um, but if I can't, I'm okay with like just making money in general, right? If I make less than what I make at my regular job, I'm okay with that too. Uh, but basically, I just don't want to lose money uh, in a single day. Um, but I, I know that's in inevitable, but it's just uh, basically trying to make some sort of money uh, within a day, and I'm okay with that. And I'll be out of market just to free up the rest of my mental capacity to do something else that I want. So how does your risk management work? I mean, if you see red, do you just punch out or do you no. stay in it? Do you like be like me and throw more money at <laughs> <laughs> So uh, if I look at like the MACD, right, the moving average convergent divergence, right, and it starts like uh, showing me bullish indications, right, and I go in, right, I, I don't YOLO in at one particular moment of time, right? I, I just put in a little bit and then see what happens. And then uh, if it goes up, great, right? Uh, because I don't want to get into the trap of, okay, it's going up. That's confirmation bias, so I'm going to put more money in, and what if it trades down right right after that, right? I might as well just take my profits at that moment in time and leave my confirmation bias out of the door yeah. and just take my profits at that moment in time, right? But if it starts, but let's say uh, the bullish indicators start, right? I enter in, and it starts trading down again, right, all of a sudden, right? I just kind of hold on to it because I don't have, like, my entire... Uh, funds in that trade yet right and i'm just waiting for another bullish indicator to happen right um and so uh if it happens then i deploy more capital uh within that so uh and i think for at least what i experience it will eventually go up back up some amount potentially but not maybe not enough to uh maybe not enough to erase all the red uh all the red on the screen but enough where it doesn't hurt uh to kind of like see it uh but sometimes also everything will be entirely green where uh it just the stock completely recovers as well so if i had like stop losses i i would also be kind of um losing out on those potential gains as well. I, I know stop losses are also a good idea as well, but um, I have not been using them as a risk management idea uh, because uh, with high implied volatility stocks, it can like quickly hit that limit very quickly and then recover back up where you kind of uh, lock in those losses at that point. So it's kind of like really scary. It, there's like so many calculations that are going on in my head about what should I do? Uh, what's the right decision? Uh, am, am I doing something stupid? Right? There's a lot of things going on in my mind. Uh, I'm probably am doing a lot of stupid things, but uh, that that's kind of generally what I do. I, I just kind of wait to deploy more capital at another point of time uh, when I think uh, the indicators are happening again. Got it. Got it. I think it. Uh, I think it makes sense. I think. I think important for folks to kind of um, settle, find, and experiment so they can actually find a like a strategy that works for them, like a construct that makes sense. Um, it, it, it might. It might be UBSing yourself. I mean, who really knows? But um, it, you know, I think just for sanity and management purposes, um, to like have a hypothesis about or have a game plan about I think you know game plan will have some hypothesis about how to make money and um, you know you have uh, some you know risk management so if I'm wrong then I'm gonna bail out under these conditions uh, you know no ifs ands or buts right. um, and uh, you know and then and then just and just go from there I mean I've never developed um, you know, no matter how many times, no matter how many Wall Street bets, you know, um, <laughs> posts I read, I mean, I just, I, I've never developed like a healthy or like a manageable, um, 
you know, mental construct of how to how to you know make these sorts of investments. Um, I think for crypto, I've kind of settled out, but kind of similar to you, I feel like I'm playing with the house's money. Um, you know, thanks to some early gains, and so that enabled me to calm down and not be so twitchy. But um, you know, twitchy meaning like pulling the trigger on like trades, uh, either buys or sells, just because I feel like I need to do something, you know, without a game plan. And um, I just feel like, uh, you know, um, it, it sounds like you've kind of, you're, you're kind of feeling your way out towards some kind of strategy like that. Um, exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Um, so, um, You've been doing this for what a couple of weeks now, or a couple of months? It's been a month so far. So uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's basically like a month sitting on my ass from 9:30 to 4 every yeah. day. I mean, it's stressful to do that. And I'm sure you're white at 4 4:31. Yeah, four, uh, four one every day. Yeah, four four every day because like I'm not even taking time to pee unless I'm out of the market early, right? But I'm not even taking time to pee usually because I am so stressed and worried that I feel like I have to monitor it every single second. And it's just really scary because uh, like part of my risk management uh, ideas is just how do I get out? Like that that's the very first thing I think about before I even like enter. How do I how do I get out of this? Uh, and I, like you said, I think that's really important uh, when doing something like this. Yeah. You mentioned you're using Schwab. Are there any other platforms which you've been using? Uh, I haven't used any other platforms. I, I just have like a good experience with Schwab. Um, yeah. I heard the Fidelity platform is pretty good uh, or TD Ameritrade. Or to E-Trade. E-Trade is now, I mean, E-Trade was bought up by Morgan Stanley. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've never used any of those other platforms to actually trade. I, I have them for like my 401ks or whatnot, but I've never mm-hmm. used uh, the other platforms for like actual actual trading other than Schwab. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, um, I think that's... Uh, I've used so to TD Ameritrade, uh, Thinkers, they bought Thinkorswim, and so they kind of have an options uh, specialist. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of does the same amount. Like, none of them really do what I need. Um, and then uh, IBKR, I, I mean, I just go, but it, it's like looking at the matrix. I mean, it, it's a, just like stream of numbers, and um, I it's just not a diet I'm used to consuming. So... I've done, I'm just terrified doing options trades. I'll like, I'll fuck it up somehow and like buy calls instead, instead of or sell calls instead of buying calls or I'll buy the wrong maturity or I'll get the wrong, you know, I'll, I'll mess it, I'll mess something up. And so um, kind of the friendly user interface, I think has been uh, uh, helpful for me. Whereas IBKR has, uh, you know, it's a little bit, uh, as much as I, 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 I think I'm hardcore and whatnot. Um, <laughs> IBKR does. I, I'm like my risk of making a mistake here is significantly higher. So mm-hmm. I, I really have uh, I've done very little on uh, interactive brokers since IBKR. Um, cool. Well, uh, this has been uh, an exciting experiment for you. So I hope uh, uh, you know any other kind of thoughts as you like. Are you looking at other stocks to um, to kind of pursue, or um, you know, are you looking to kind of it, it branch out your strategy away from kind of short dated, you know, out of money weekly calls or, um, you know, um, I have no idea what, what folks do, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? So I, I really consider leap options, which are like basically long dated expiration date options. Um, and, you know, leap options have done really well for a lot of stocks. Um, I'm still considering that. Like, I'm st- I'm considering whether or not to buy leaps on like Microsoft, for example. I'm just bullish on Microsoft all around. I've always been bullish on Microsoft for a while, um, and that's just like a function of like what the stock does and um, how the business looks like. But uh, I'm not I'm not too sure whether or not I I will actually pull the trigger 
on a leap. Uh, basically, with a leap, you'd buy uh, an out of the money option that has a long, far dated expiration date, maybe three months or longer, mm-hmm. and uh, you would expect the stock price to kind of like move past that eventually. Uh, so that, that that's basically what a leap is. Uh, one thing I've been thinking about is that I kind of talked to you about this. Uh, and this is where, with this experimentation, I'm also trying to have the mentality, like train a mentality of, so I kind of like sell out of like my positions a little bit early. Yeah. Uh, and when I sell out of positions early and I see like the stock like shoot up even more, right? Even though I'm like get, getting like 30%, 40% in a given day sometimes, right? Um, if it shoots out more, I could have gotten like 200% in a given day or so on and so forth. So I had this like uh, feeling of like sighing, like oh, I should have I should have waited a little bit longer and <laughs> sold at that point, right? But yeah. I, I really think about that, and I I think it's better to have that feeling rather than shit. I should have sold earlier when the stock price was higher than it is now, and I'm locking in a loss at this point, right? Uh, because the first the first version of like sighing and feeling like ah oh, I should have waited a little bit longer. At least I made some money. Yeah, yeah. And the second one of like shit I sh- should have sold earlier. Now I'm just like losing money, which isn't good, right? So I think like just making money, no matter what, no matter how much it is, is better than losing any amount, right? Making any amount is better than losing any amount. Yeah, and I think it's an important question, an important consideration. I mean, you, you know, you gotta have a healthy attitude towards where you're going, and the reality is you can never, you can never make every last nickel in the trade. Um, right. Right. And pretending that or trying to aim for that i mean you're just it's just never going to work and you'll end up you know holding for longer than you should have or you know um or, or not you know not bailing from bad position you know sooner than you should have and so i think it's mm-hmm. um it's uh yeah no, but unfortunately these are lessons you can only really learn by um doing the reps and um you, right. you know, eating a couple of Eating a couple of these, uh, you know, these tough situations where you're like, you know, God damn it, why did I sell so early? And then um, <laughs> seeing it take off. And then also like, or more commonly for me, it's just like, crap, why did I, why am I holding this? And why am I still holding it? And I should <laughs> you know, $10 ago um, and uh, feeling like a moron until it recovers. Um, and not all of them have. So, um, yeah, so a lot of humble pie. But uh, look, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good it's a good lesson. It's a powerful lesson. Right. I totally agree with you. And the thing we always say is that uh, you, you don't really learn unless it's your own money on the line. Um, and we, we kind of give this advice to our own friends of uh, it, it's important to like not play with daddy's and mommy's like money because you don't really feel like you're losing out on money right but if it's money that you worked for then you really don't want to lose that money because it's your hard-earned money so you really learn a lot from those experiences uh those experiences will last because it's your own hard-earned money um obviously if you make like 500x all of a sudden uh you, you might feel like a genius and maybe you are a genius but uh I, I think like these small baby steps are really important to kind of uh, figure out a good strategy on what to do, what not to do, and you know, uh, just not not be a complete idiot. Obviously, I, I'm doing kind of degenerate stuff, so don't 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 take my word for anything. But yeah, <laughs> that I think that's uh, yeah. Yeah, but like you said at the very beginning, this is your money. You earned it, um, right? And uh, pay that much more attention and learn quicker. You know, uh, right. think hard about what you're doing. Um, and it, it it sucks like having to 
double, you know, think, you know, double check, you know, think about all the ways you get things that could go wrong and, um, you know, under what conditions would you bail from, you know, this position in which you've invested a lot of time and money and might be in the red on and, uh, but you've got to make, uh, you know, the cold hard decisions to you know, keep going or, or not. Um, and, uh, you'll learn it a lot faster when it's your own money. Uh, so, um, you know, for for those of you out there who uh, have mommy and daddy giving you tons of money to bet in the stock market, uh, I God bless you. <laughs> I guess <laughs> you'll learn faster if if you you know you make mistakes with your own money, um, and that'll probably serve you better in the long run. So I think like the important points we should touch upon is are um, one uh, always have an exit strategy. Uh, always know how you're going to exit, when you're going to exit, right? That that's that that's extremely important. And two, uh just don't lose money. Uh like Warren Buffett says, just don't lose any money at all. And I think those yeah. are like the two most important points to really take into consideration. Yeah. And if you do lose money, I mean, I think it's just important to only bet amounts that you're you're comfortable losing. Like, you know, right. it doesn't Loss isn't going to hit you. I remember, um, you know, in the early days of shorting Tesla, like there was a guy on Reddit who was like, "Oh my God, I bet all my money on uh, on shorting Tesla," and uh, there was a short squeeze, um, as would happen again and again and again. And I felt terribly for the guy. Um, and so you just got to avoid being that guy. You know, don't don't bet everything on on one thing to play out because you never know. You you might even be right. But something might happen in between and uh, the, the, the price will move against you and you just never know. So you have to be humble and be careful, um, be measured. Yeah, don't don't cool. don't bet everything on a single trade. It, it is ex- extremely dangerous to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with that, I mean, uh, that, that's it for my end. Any uh, any other parting thoughts? No, I think we covered it. Uh, so yeah, no, this has been my experiences of being a DGen. Uh, kind of, sort of. Uh, that, that's kind of like what we're gonna make this episode. <laughs> so uh, I have been your co-host Kintaro, and I'm your other co-host Eric. And uh, next week we'll probably try to talk. Uh, more about crypto there's there's a lot of interesting things happening in crypto so uh stay tuned and uh hopefully you'll hear back from us uh soon so have a good night folks